0: Welcome to the Reformers Pipeline, your dose of empowerment and the pipeline to inform your decisions on how you can support change in our education system.
1: This is Lindsay, affectionately known as Miss Black.
0: And I'm Hottie Ha, Mr. Broussard. If you're feeling like it was just such a beautiful day, if you feel like it was (laughs) a beautiful day, Lindsay, that's how I'm feeling today. It was nice. It was a smooth 82
1: degrees. And I love when it's like warm, but there's like a cool breeze. It's not too cold. That's,
0: that's, that's it. That's, that's it.
1: That's what does it for me.
0: But you know what else does it for me? What, yeah, does, it, what does it? What does it? What does it?
1: being back honestly i know this is the second episode but i just wanted to say that we are super glad to be back times two now yes especially glad to have you our advocates back we are about to move through this season we are going to be referring to you as our advocates as we hope to motivate everyone to advocate for change in our education system
0: and guess what lens what we on social media (laughs) so yeah so follow us on instagram y'all at the Reformist Pipeline to keep up with information from episodes and any other updates we believe our advocates should know to create change in our education system.
1: And our website is also live, yes. so find us and all our content at thereformistpipeline.com. It is a great place to catch up on season one because some of y'all might be listening to this today. It actually drops, and you're like, "Dang, I don't have nothing to listen to." Go back to season one and catch up, and then provide us any feedback. Check it out.
0: Yeah, so now it's time for us to pretend we're in the classroom and establish our objective for the season. This is semester one of our two-part season. Semester one will run through June, and we are focusing on creating the ideal school. We will explore different ways in which we reimagine the ideal school. But before we jump into that segment, let's catch y'all up on us. Okay.
1: yes, let's catch up. So I'm going to get us started. this is also trigger warning for family death or anybody who's grieving. If you'd like to fast forward two minutes, if necessary, please do. Um, but my Nana passed away, y'all. Um, she passed away on March 13th. Her birthday was Valentine's Day, February 14th. Um, and I have never... I have not... Uh, Experienced the family death like of age when I say of age I mean like of age to remember and like be aware of my emotions um and I don't have grandfathers they my mom's grandfather passed away when she was three and then my dad's grand my my dad's dad y'all know what I mean uh, passed away when I was younger and so I have two grandmothers left well, I had two grandmas left. Now I have one grandparent left. So it's a, it's been a lot of things that have been coming to my head. Um, just super emotional. As she was only in her 70s. And my great-great-grandma was 98 when she passed. And then my grandma's mom just turned 92 this past Wednesday. So it was just super unexpected based on the pedigree. But um, she did have lots of chronic illnesses. So mm-hmm. Oh, rest her soul. It's been, it's been very trying. Um, nobody really told, you know, we read about grief, but until you're experiencing it, you really don't understand it. Um, so I was super sad last week, this week, I'm feeling really motivated. Um, mainly because I've been having conversations about having children, (laughs) What? (laughs) having real children, not just my students. And, um, I never like and never like conceptualized in my head and me being able to do it. And then my grandmother passed away, and I was like, "Damn! Like I want her to see me in love. Like I yeah, want her yeah. to see me have children." Um, so I've just been really motivated to do things in her honor and do things that I know that she would want to see me do because I was the favorite.
0: Yes. Exactly.
1: <laughs> um. And with that, I know that I don't need to apologize, but. The Instagram page, y'all, I run the page and it would have been way more content on there, but I could not create no content. We are going to get better. So if you have not followed us on Instagram at The Reformist Pipeline, please make sure you do so um, or pass it along to somebody else.
0: I agree with you, Liz but I also got to tell you, like, Lindsay's been doing, that thing has been thinging as I say, and Lynch <laughs> <laughs> has been working on, like, the Instagram is amazing, even though she just always is an uh, overachiever, and so I love that about her, but I must say, like, this is, for the Instagram to not be put together by her standards, gosh dog, like, y'all just let the, the crystal clear to you, Like this is only the beginning of what our Instagram page is about to be. And I hat goes off to her because she was juggling a lot last week. And so for her to have been juggling all of what she was and for it to look the way in which it does, I'm just like, that's the black queen right there. I I love it. I love that energy. I love it. I love it. I love it. Yes. So, you know, I really don't have a a lot to say. I just think that I've been spending a lot of time um, with friends. Um, I've been trying this past week was one, because I think that in this new role, one of the biggest kind of challenges that I've, had, I've had is trying to balance my time. Um, and yeah. I, I'm a I'm a mama's boy through and through. And Love so her. Typically, me and moms would be talking every single morning. And so like to shift, my mom was probably like, she, she's very concerned because she's like, what is going on? Like, why are we not uh, having these conversations in the morning anymore? I'm like, yeah. moms, I'm working. And so I think I'm trying to learn the balance between what is, when is it okay to not accept that call and what is it okay for me to actually focus on a, an assignment, a project. And I think being in the virtual environment even makes it so much more challenging. And yeah. so I think that that's kind of my update is everybody just, just lean into the, the space in which you're in. And although it may not be comfortable to um, decline that call or um, just to have your phone, not even be in the space with your phone, do what's best for you um, and, and respect the process. And so it, it definitely has been a struggle because that's kind of how I get my day started to talk to my moms. But um, I, I think oh, as time has gotten on, gone forward, she definitely is extremely understanding, which is mm-hmm. a lot easier, a lot better. Um, but I just have to say, lean into discomfort. That's what I'm doing. That's what I kind of have been practicing over the last couple of weeks.
1: I love that for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And now moving on into our first segment. (laughs) (laughs) No, but our first segment is one of my favorites is we love the kids. Why? Because we really do love the kids. And this is the section um, in the podcast where we can talk about an experience that's actually happening in the classroom, whether it's a super loving experience, sometimes it may be a saddening experience. Uh, Not today, though, Uh, but we're going to jump right in it. This podcast episode is going to drop on the last Monday of Women's History Month. And we know we honor the women who have made amazing contributions to society during this month. And by doing so, we empower young women and girls to know that they are also capable of doing great things. Um, I wanted to take a moment to highlight something that I did for a group of girls. Not this year, but at my last school last year, Uh, we had a natural hair club. Y'all, we had a natural hair club. Yes. Uh, Right. And I built a curriculum around it um, because one day i'd like to build a curriculum like really flesh it out uh, but it was it kind of just stemmed from you know black girls um everybody has a hair story right and my hair story was i went to school predominantly white schools and i really was not understanding of why my hair looked different from the other hair like why my hair couldn't do those things right but um, I really wanted to take that kind of concept of not understanding something and like questioning our identity. Cause I know that other black girls especially my students have experienced that. And you got to understand that your black hair is curly um, and white people hair looks a little different. It's a different grade, but that's because it's made up of different molecular bonds. And so there's science in understanding our hair and there's science in understanding ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I also taught them how to do different hairstyles. We would uh, create our own hair products, you know, out of stuff we get from the grocery store. And I really wanted them to make a hustle out of it, honestly, because, you know, I went to Howard and I'm thinking, oh, I'm the only black girl that can't braid. That mm. is not true. Mm. <laughs> lots of black girls that cannot braid, but the black girls that could braid and the yes. uh, were able to flip it and make money out of it. And I wanted no matter what you want to do, I think it's appropriate for you to have multiple strengths of income, even when you're in, in college. So our culminating project was going to be to develop a business plan for their hair services. So it would to incorporate math and their writing skills um, to figure out, well, how much hair do I need to get from the store? Do I need to get more edge control right now? Well, how much should I charge this? Okay. If I'm doing discounts this week, what's my discounts going to be? Um, I wanted them to be have some type of skill that I didn't have that they could um, easily monetize. And so did have a natural hair club because I absolutely wanted to empower young black women and girls.
0: And shout out to you for all that exposure. I just got to continue to say that again, because like, A, I was talking to my mans yesterday, my friend or whatever, and he was talking about how he wants to go get his cosmetology license. Um, and just talking about like how when we were in school, like had we known how to cut hair and do things like that, that would have been such an amazing type of just like a little quick side hustle. And that's exactly what I, I think that that is something that I missed out on is, is figuring out what was my kind of hidden talent that I didn't tap into when I was younger. I mean, that was coming from like my parents, they were, they did not, neither of them know how to, my dad didn't know how to cut hair, my mom didn't know how to do hair in a shop. But um they actually they did own a shop um and so like to for that to have been the case i'm like dang i should have picked up i should have been at the shop on weekends trying to figure out how to cut hair so all Mm. that's to say here we are Mm -hmm. are. not too late but anyway you're right you're right and so now it's time for our next segment lens two sets of notes my favorite Yes, and so I'm excited to talk about this week's two sets of notes for our newer advocates. This segment is where we discuss a current event and its impact on us, our students, and our education system. So not sure if anyone heard, but a Georgetown University law professor was recently terminated. And another was forced to resign after a Zoom conversation went viral, y'all. Sandra Sellers and David Batson were having a conversation via Zoom about their Black students' performance in their classes at the end of a recorded lecture last month. They were more so talking about student participation, but just in general, I just want to set the scene so that y'all know where we're going with this. So during the clip, Seller states, I end up having this angst every semester that a, a lot of my lower ones are Blacks, referencing lower grades. Happens almost every semester, and it's like, oh, come on, it's some really good ones, but there are also usually some that are just plain at the bottom. It drives me crazy. (sighs) Wow. So, you know, I'm here to say, Sandra, you ain't saying nothing new, sis. Like we knew this, but the issue that we have is that you haven't done anything about it. That's the problem. You've been complicit in a larger structural issue that we know today as what? Systematic racism. So now a couple of solutions. You're at Georgetown University Law Center. I don't know why it's law center and not school, but that's besides the point. The the point is that y'all, they have resources. They have money. You have an office that literally can research why your numbers are the way that they are. Moreover, you are a teacher, an educator that is making money. So taking the time to do the work is important. And we have educators out here that are doing much more with significantly less. So it's extremely frustrating to me to hear that an educator or one that is terming themselves as an educator, um, is out here talking about problems instead of finding solutions. Let's call out that problem and let's figure out how we can make that change that we want to see. So great that you're calling out these black students in your class and, and not participating, but what are you doing to change it? Especially given the fact that you said that this has been happening for years.
1: Thank you. It's just it's just weird at this point. Like you know, I'm already over the fake anti-racism movement. Some people are doing the work. A lot of a lot of corporations are saying they're doing the work. A lot of larger entities that represent groups of individuals are saying they're doing the work. And it's not it. Because the thing is, I really didn't have a problem with what she said. Like if I were just to extract what she said and didn't think about, my perception of white women in the workplace. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, you're right. But that, what she said should have been the beginning, like you said, of a conversation. Like what you said is indeed a data point. Like you should look at grades, cross-reference it with race or cultural background, and then jump in to understand why this is happening. But it's just crazy. You know, we have all these peer-reviewed journals, these dissertations about collaborative teaching and culturally relevant pedagogy. I'm for certain that she has read at least one of those or referred to one of those in some piece of writing. She just had to. That's just the way that education works. So it's, it's very... It's alarming, not too alarming because the girl is what fire. You lost your job. <laughs> um, not too alarming though, but it's alarming to me that this type of information is open to you freely and due to like the 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 class system in our society or even the hierarchy within education.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, you had access to it.
0: Exactly. And
1: some of the people that you're talking about, I'm not going to generalize and make black people a monolith, but mm-hmm. there's some people in your classroom that, you're te- that you teach, or there might be people like other people that you have work with, you've come in contact with that don't have the same access as you. And you didn't tap into that in a moment that was necessary as an educator.
0: Exactly exactly and and then that's what i want to hit that point hard though lens is because these are things that and that's why like right now we're talking about the university level right and university people they have a a whole different load of resources but that's the reason why this is such a a bigger point is the fact that educators in the k through 12 space do so much more with so much less, have to show up so much more happy, like have to have to give so much more to a system in which the hours are not defined. At a university level, it's completely different. And, and, and the thing is, is like, there are, and don't get me wrong, like, I know that there's probably some university folks on the other end, they're like, oh, wait, hold up a minute. Like there are some universities that aren't funded the same way, completely agree with you, but get into a K through 12 system. And, and then you will see how there are educators, there are teachers that are doing so much more, like I said before, with so much less. So that's just my, that's my feelings about that situation. So
1: that's what it is, because it's it. also like, just to underscore what you're saying, not that it's an easy fix, but it's very easy to do something about it.
0: It is exactly. <laughs> Like to do exactly.
1: something. I'm not exactly. saying it's going to be super impactful, but you talking about your angst that you get, girl? If you see it happen every year, what? How are you still anxious about it? You know okay. it's
0: coming. Exactly. exactly. Out of here. Exactly. So yeah. So that's this week's two sets of notes. Now it is time for our concept development. Our advocates know that this is the segment of the show where we dive into our main topic of discussion. We're about to jump into a session where you'll get to hear from the people behind the pipeline, uh, us. Yeah. We're about to talk very generally about what our ideal school looks like. But stay tuned because in the next episode, we're going to have a, a more specific lens that we look through for other ideal schools.
1: So let's jump in and I'm going to ask you, Jihad, and I'll go That's, after you. Um, just, can you just describe your ideal school, just short and sweet, two sentences maybe, what does it look like?
0: Gotcha, yeah. So when I think about my ideal school, I always think about a very community-centered approach. I think that the a, a school is kind of supposed to serve as the hub um, for family engagement uh, and making sure that there's some student choice, uh, partnering with small businesses, uh, partnering mm-hmm. with universities to, for, to ensure that parents are still able to have a space to enhance their line, learning abilities and so on and so forth. I know that that was not two sentences. But,
1: it wasn't at all. Okay. <laughs>
0: It's the gist.
1: It's the gist, okay. Well, my ideal school would have majority black teachers and Mm. lots of exposure to various cultures through activities or assemblies, et cetera. My ideal school would have an equitable system of accountability for all stakeholders. So teachers, parents, and students. Um, I kinda wanna just add to the, the last part about equitable systems of accountability. I think a lot that teachers are seen as the bearers of all knowledge. And we have most of the power when I personally don't see it that way. I want the power to be divided amongst those three stakeholders. Um, I think that we'd have a better system if that happens. So I just want to explain that piece in case
0: yes, I went over yes, some yes. heads. Yes, no, that's that's really true. And, I, and just to, say, I'm a tap in right there because I really do think that that piece about culture and black teachers that is something that constantly hits home. And I know that we talked about this last season about like the more black teachers that you have in the school, the the better that students oftentimes perform. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's or we know that it's because of uh, the different exposures and such that we have, um, that Black teachers have to the real world and how we're socialized and so on and so forth. Um, but yeah, so Black teachers, <laughs> I need to add that to my model.
1: Go us. So in your ideal school, Jahat, name one thing that you specifically experienced like like earlier on, elementary, middle school, and wish that you saw more of in the present day now.
0: Yeah. I would have to say student choice and I'm not saying student choice in the sense of like um, what project or like what assignment do you want to do this, this worksheet or that worksheet, right? Like I'm talking about, I want students to buy in. I want students to feel invested. And I think that investment is what drives student Mm. engagement. And that's what makes them want to be present in the space um, and and allows them to reach their version of self-actualization. So student choice, that's what it is for me.
1: I like that about like reaching self-actualization for sure. I think I can build on that in a different way because when I went to school, we had a bunch of like, Different cultural experiences and celebrations. I remember for like Hispanic Heritage Month when I was in, I had to be in third grade. Hmm. Um, we had one of this one of the staff members. He taught us like a traditional like folk dance, and we had like um the traditional attire. And so I had like he had skirts made for us. We had to pay for it, but in like matching sh- in matching shirts, and it was really beautiful. And I did not remember that until yesterday. Yeah. Um, but sports. Sports help people reach self-actualization. Yes. Um, sports just, I feel like uh, they develop your character. They show you who you really are, honestly. Yeah. And I feel like nowadays within the charter school network, because we're limited with spaces, we're kind of limited with sports and networks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, And then like Unity Club. I had Unity Club in a high school. It was like the Black Club, like the Black Student Union.
0: Um, I still think- Oh, seriously? Yeah. Wow, so like- Oh well that I guess that was GSA slash Unity Club. Our, we called ours BSU, but when you like said Unity Club just now, it's ours was called the Gay Straight Alliance. And so Unity Club was associated with the Gay Straight Alliance. So Got like, oh. it. Inter- interesting. So
1: and it's it's interesting because we were out of white school, which I don't know why we couldn't say BSU. So I'm like, did they just not want to say BSU because it was like basic? Or could you not really say BSU because huh. white people would get offended? Um, I don't know. Um, but open campuses, like I went to uh, I went to school in Palo Alto right across the street from Stanford. And we had um, oh. a little shopping area. So we were able to leave campus and come off campus and go as we please. And so here everything's like gated. There's security. No, we left and came back. You can hear the bells from across the street. You knew when your classes started. Um, yeah. And I think the last thing that I would like kids to experience more of that I don't see just because I live in dc like it's a commuter it's not a state they're working on statehood mm-hmm. but a commuter space is school buses for schools
0: yes yes And not yes. public
1: school buses there yes. are students who have um special needs and have the accommodation of getting bus but they mm-hmm. be late picking them up and dropping them off but like a regular timely school bus and not having kids exposed to any and everything before they get to school
0: yeah yeah that's for real that's for that's a good one I was like, and I also, I'm like, dang, I was trying to think about like, I don't think I had an open campus type of experience. No, we had to get an off-campus permit to leave campus during the school day, even when I was in high school. Um, nope. And because I was, <laughs> Never and I was the president of the school, so, you know, I had to plug, I can just get somebody to sign off on my little uh, permit card. Which yeah. is, but that's so wild though, like, and I think that that's kind of what, which makes, students struggle is by us not having those experiences to like just leave when we want to and then come back and that trust we don't instill that in students and so then students are like oh okay like I feel like I had a tape I feel I have to ditch or I feel like I have to do this and so yeah that's that's a dope and Stanford oh my gosh I love that campus I want to go there so badly oh my god
1: I did not it was a 90 application
0: fee but, anyways, <laughs> <laughs> I just had to say that. That was yeah. my dream school.
1: Now, let's share something that um, kind of along the same lines. But share something that you wish you learned in school. And I want our listeners to also be thinking about this question What is something you wish that you learned in school? And what would that actually look like in your ideal school now?
0: Yeah. Huh. So. You know, I I think I talk about this a lot. I would have to say it's about the relationships for me. Um, I just want people to know how to interact with one another and not on like the surface level. Right. I think that Linz, you always talk about that book, all about love. And I'm not (laughs) certain if we have to go like that deep, Um, Mm -hmm. but I want to be able to have conversations about how to love one another, how to. Um, respect one another over time like I just think that there are different aspects that you can't infuse into curriculum that we don't do currently and I think it all Good. for me it all boils down to relationships I feel like if that um, was taught in schools I feel like the world would be a better place um, and I even think that I was on a call this other the other day um, and this educator she talked about like a daily mantra that she says with her students and at the end of it, it was it stated basically like you're supposed to love your neighbor as if you love yourself, because if you're causing harm to that person, then you're causing harm to yourself. And I think that if we were to actually function that way, I feel like we would be in a, a much better space. So that's what. Yeah, it is.
1: we would be. We absolutely would be. I actually was going to talk about love, um, but I'll talk about some other things <laughs> um, <laughs> like things that I think could be easily embedded um, navigating the workplace. Um, what that means Um, talking to higher-ups how you speak to HR but that's kind of like embedded in like love and respect for others within the classroom but you can make it like directly correlate with the workplace Um, and then passports learn about passports and visas why are we in history class learn about Switzerland being neutral but I don't know that I need a passport passport to get to Switzerland like And it seems before I had mine, like, it seems so foreign. Like, Oh my God, I don't know what I do. It must be complex. Oh, I'm going to procrastinate. But really like that money that you're about to spend on the 11s that are about to drop, you just spend on your passport. You take a picture at Walgreens and you take it and then boom, you just have so much more access. Um, Mm -hmm. I wish that we learned that even though that's not something that like you need to know in order to like master, you don't need to master it, but it's something that can be easily embedded. Um, I also wish that we taught about coherence and how third grade, fourth grade builds on the third, builds on, what am I saying?
0: Yes, yes.
1: No, you know what I'm saying. I don't know if they know what I'm saying. How basically second grade, help, everything you learn in second grade builds on to helps you build into third grade, which helps right. you build into fourth grade. Um, so like, for example, third grade, you learn single digit multiplication, and then you move on to double digit multiplication in fourth mm. grade, and then you move on to decimals, right? And like, yeah. there's coherence between those things. And I would like kids to see how they're connected. Um, and lastly, emotional intelligence, because baby, it's not here all the time. Amen. It's not here, and I think that like we all have the capacity to do so because we all experience emotions, right? Whether you allow yourself to do so or not, there's a certain level of emotional intelligence you have. Like we're not all start, starting at, at ground zero, um, so I wish that we had a better system or time to teach kids that.
0: And Liz, what about um, what about financial literacy? I feel like everybody be talking about how financial literacy needs to be taught in schools. What are you thoughts yeah. there?
1: I, you know what, when we asked that, what's something you wish you learned in school? And I told them to think about it. I just know somebody said financial literacy. Um, so I think that we should learn more about it in school. And I think that we should have more project-based learning. So I actually yeah. did a project um, with my fourth graders. Oh, they are my favorite class, the devilish little children. <laughs> um, but the whole, we learned about like adding and subtracting decimals for a whole entire unit. And we related that to creating your own business. So we had a couple of people, a couple of entrepreneurs come out and talk to them. And that's just a perfect way to relate the math to something in real life. Exactly. Um, and that's literally financial literacy, a piece of it, obviously, right? But we got to figure out how do we make financial literacy more developmentally appropriate as they get older and then actually do it
0: yeah yeah and so Liz can you tell us what your grading system looked like back in the day when you was in school uh yeah (laughs) and then like and I was gonna say just like more importantly do you think it was a fair you feel like it was equitable I feel like that's something Mm -hmm. that we talked about that when we was growing up
1: I would say that generally I can't remember elementary school but generally I had standard grading Uh, for most of the the year, like we think about high school, for sure, just A through F. Um, In middle school, though, Some of my classes I had regular grading, but I was also in a program called connections and connections was really like a self-contained, self-contained means basically like you go to less classes. I only had two teachers really. Um, And we did more project-based learning. It seemed to me like now that I'm thinking back to it. So it was a smaller program. Like we, there were only two classes. So we knew everybody in each class. Um, I think. I don't, was I only, only black girl? I might not even the only black girl, but there were other students who were like, like different disabilities that I'm sure that could, that type of classroom was better. It was the first time I had a, I had a peer who had a mean stutter, a hmm. mean stutter. but we learned patience and we learned understanding mm-hmm. just because our grading system wasn't the same. Um, mm-hmm. I think the teachers had more, not necessarily more mercy, but, um, they they graded based on our understanding and not just like a rubric that they made up.
0: Yeah, and and, and speaking on that, like you just, that just, woo. Um, I feel like blended classrooms are the way to go because the, like the real world- What's society, a blended classroom? Uh, <laughs> talk about it, yeah. So a blended classroom is when it's not just, you have folks who um, are, you may have students of differing abilities. Um, And so you may have students who are traditionally progressing. You may have students with disabilities. You may have English language learners in the classroom. Um, You may have students who um, are below grade level on reading, but that is what a blended classroom looks like. And so I feel like that's what you're kind of describing in this connected Mm. situation. And so I feel like that is kind of the way to go because society doesn't work. Like you cannot just work in a classroom in which all the people are traditionally performing. That's not how it works. Mm -hmm. Like you are going to have different interactions. And I feel like that's the reason why blended classrooms and, um, and and that's why I'm vehemently opposed to self-contained models because you don't have that interaction. So you're literally being socialized either um, directly or indirectly to think that you don't need to interact with these people as opposed to learning yeah. how you should be able to be in an environment with these people. And yes, just like you said, patience. You're going to have to learn that. And I'm just like, wow, like you just really talked to me just when you said that. I'm like, damn, that's a great idea. Um, and to call it that, as opposed to like a blended model, it's more so connections.
1: I like blended models conceptually. conceptually as a teacher that has to teach a blended model, though, I, I don't know. I, sh- I struggle with the concept sometimes because there are some times where I feel like I should have a homogeneous group to be able to teach them this skill. So I think there needs to be a balance, but teachers don't have the energy to do that all the mm-hmm. time. And I think that if we just had like, even something as simple as having two competent educators in the classroom, we, I, I would feel com- comfortable doing the blended learning. Yeah. But it gets so hard when all y'all have this deficit, let me just teach y'all. But then on the other hand, yeah. all y'all have this deficit and now because I'm only teaching you, you don't have access to students who don't have the deficit. So all the learning has to come from me as opposed to your peers.
0: Exactly. And, and, and that's the reason why, like, let's focus on that term. Like, like Lynn said, it's blended, right? We're not talking about let's have two sides of the extremes of the spectrum in the same type of environment. We want a blended model needs to be yeah. equity. And so yeah. I think that that's what's mm-hmm. not discussed. And I think also yeah. what happens is in teacher preparation programs, we oftentimes shy away from special education or in, well, excuse me, not teacher preparation, alternative teaching programs, we shy away from those things like special education and we don't talk about those things. It's just about, oh, how are you going to to teach all learners? Like, no, it's a a lot more complex than it may sound or than it may look. So I it's not as easy as it sounds. Um, And so conceptually, yes, blended model sounds like it's the way to go, but you got to be able to get it right. And your admin has to really have their stuff together. It
1: has to. And the, and to go on with the complexities, when we think about grading, then our grading system needs to be more complex. Because right now, that A through F, honestly, it's arbitrary. Them letters don't mean a damn thing. Um, but, they, but honestly, they do mean a thing. It's, mm-hmm. subje- it's arbitrary and subjective at the same time. Mm-hmm. Because an A to me can mean something different to you. Um, I would prefer us move to a standards-based system, Yes. Um, although I do recognize that it is westernized culture to, to standardize everything and have mm-hmm. a clear criteria for everything. I will recognize that. But I think our next step is if we are all agreeing that kids need to learn these things, we need to just make sure sh- assess them on each skill as opposed to overall. Because some kids are getting a 90% because you're putting in effort but your grade doesn't reflect what you know. Not that I'm not trying to acknowledge effort. Your mama needs to know that she was really trying in class, but your mom also needs to know that you don't know how to divide with double digit numbers.
0: Exactly. No, I completely agree. I am a Sanders based type of person as well. Um, And I think that there's even more research that we can do around grading systems to find even something that's even more equitable. I just don't think that the right amount of resources and time has kind of been put towards it. It absolutely hasn't.
1: And then when we think about parent support, right? Because when we talk about grades, grades are the means that we use to communicate with parents. So, Hadi, what does parent support look like for you in your ideal school? And I would also like our listeners, as Jahat answers this question, think about what your parent support looked like in school. Did you have it? Did you not have it?
0: Yeah. So,
1: what does it look like, Hadi?
0: Yeah, it, it looks like the parents are a part of the school. And I think oftentimes that does not happen. And it, it, I don't mean just to invite a parent to a, a family teacher conference. I mean, you have to do your part, you have to contribute to the school. And what does that look like, right? Like whether it is that you're signing up to, and it's not just signing up for field trips, it's you, how are you working to to be your best self? And, you're, and, I, and, and that's the reason why I'm like, it's kind of, I'm a very controversial guy when it comes to the school, because I think that the school does serve as a hub, it's the community partner, but this is essentially parents need to be able to come to school to figure out if they need to, like if they want to go find a new job, they should be able to find a plug at the school to figure that out, for to help them figure that out. If they want to um, come volunteer, that needs to be something that we are very intentional about having a space for them to do so. And not just in their class or their kids' classrooms, but in other classrooms as well. Like there is, it takes a village to raise a, to raise a child. And I think that yes. we kind of have shifted away from that kind of mindset um, and think that you have to be, Uh, this top-notch scholar to be able to give kids the 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 knowledge or to help facilitate the knowledge that kids need Mm -hmm. and they deserve and so Mm -hmm. I want to say that's what I'm about is making sure that parents have access to the school. I concur
1: (laughs) in short (laughs) yes in long um I think in my ideal school like you're saying there would be just enough funding, let's start there, to have um, a position for multiple people, so multiple positions to focus on family engagement. Um, and of course, family engagement is going to look different from school to school, and from class to class, and yes. from student to student. Which is why you need to pay people to actually be able to do this. Um, and these people would ensure that families know how to use all tech tools. Mm-hmm. That they understand that email is important. I can't tell you how many how many parents is like, um, oh, I don't really look at my email. Can you just text me? No. Look at your email. You're twice. Yes. No shade, but you're 20 something years old and your students' education depends on it. So just look at your email. Um, and they need to be taught, you know, I'm a math teacher, So they need to be taught the basics of this new math. It's not really new, y'all. But we'll explain in a later episode. Or at least enough to understand why there has been a shift. I want them to understand at least the why. And I know that this is possible for people to understand because I've taught parents this. I've done this on my own accord, but I think that this should be. Somebody's job because that'll, yeah. like you said earlier about like engagement and intrinsic motivation.
0: Yes, parents yes. will be
1: more engaged when they understand. Absolutely. Um, and these, this process would absolve teachers of communicating with parents, but it would make it a, a priority and not just, not just the teacher's job to Absolutely. make that great impact. Um, and parents should participate in school activities, field trips, classroom visits arrival dismissal so that students know we are a community yes. and that allows for a, a deeper level of account of self accountability within students when they know that the community is connected
0: amen and so lens what if you had to leave us with one word today that would sum up your school or what you uh, maybe would name your school what, what would you call it what are you thinking
1: oh, gosh i like knew this question was coming i'm still <laughs> <my brain>. <laughs> <laughs> um I, I will, I don't really know. Um, I, I have no desire to open my own school. I'll make that known to everyone. Um, I'm kind of like a fixture upper type of person. Um, I like to produce innovative ideas and not be responsible for doing all of them. Uh, I guess one word that I would use though, um, exposure exposure is a word. Um, so that would tie into exposure, to different cultures I mentioned before, exposure hmm. to parents on how they can be embedded in the school, but exposure to students on how parents are embedded in the school. I just think um, in general, that would be the role of a school that I would like to be a part of. Hmm. What about you? What's your word?
0: Yeah, I'm gonna let you close this out, but I do want to just say <laughs> that... My word is, if y'all haven't heard a theme throughout this episode, it's community. I know I talked about relationships, but I really do think that the school is kind of the, it it is the hub. Um, And and we oftentimes don't realize what we do when we put schools in places. And I'm more so speaking about like the charter school sector, but I, I want it to be known that schools are spaces in which parents depend on and communities depend on to make the community better. Um, And so I I think that when we focus on all aspects of the community, then the school is able to thrive the way in which it needs to.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So with that, y'all have heard the people behind the pipeline and what our ideal school looks like. We're going to continue this conversation through the rest of the semester, but we would just like for you to think, what does your ideal school look like? Maybe rewind back. Think about some of the questions that we ask. But at the end of the day, if you are able to describe your ideal school in two sentences, we want to hear about it. So please reach out.
0: It's time for the call to action. If you are one of our veteran advocates, you know this segment is where we give you an action step and how you can support change in our education system.
1: Now this one y'all are gonna love because it's a crowd favorite. Girl Scout cookies. So, you know, we in a panoramic. And Usually the Girl Scouts are sitting like really cute outside of Safeways and they're selling their cookies. But a blessing that has come from the pandemic is that Girl Scouts are actually selling their cookies online, y'all. So you can go online and order the cookies and they get mailed to your house. Please take advantage. What? So Yes. I mean, I'm not gonna eat cookies. Actually, I think it's, it's a do dose that's the peanut butter kind. I think so. Anyways, I like those. <laughs> and if you like Girl Scout cookies, um, there will be a link that's going to be in the description. Uh, and it is actually a link of the niece of one of my dear friends, Alicia Fairfax, who is an assistant principal at a school right now. But her niece is a Girl Scout. And so I just want to flood her Girl Scout um, link with a bunch of people that wanna consume the Girl Scout cookies. So please be on the lookout um, in our description for that link. Uh, if you don't want Girl Scout cookies, send it to somebody that you know want Girl Scout cookies because you know somebody that want Girl Scout cookies. Um, and lastly, our update on our last episode's call to action. Nini and her son, Grayson, are still accepting donations for Grayson's education fund. So if you have the means to donate, please do so as every little bit does count.
0: And last but not least, please do not forget to follow us on Instagram at The Reformers Pipeline. Share our posts, y'all. There's some great content for y'all to look through. Um, Check out our amazing website at thereformancepipeline.com. And as always, if you have any feedback, positive thoughts, or desire to be featured on our show, please visit our website and provide information to us at pipeline at gmail.com. Nonetheless, advocates, we appreciate you and look forward to discussing our ideal school.
1: Thank you for listening. Do not forget to think about your two-sentence description of an ideal school and continue to stand up for educators.
0: Peace, love, and light.
1: Hootie hoot!